a good report. Oh Lord, we've come to this house because we need, we need you, Jesus. I ask that you would meet our heart's cry. Lord, there's so many other things we could reach for, but we've tried them and they were empty. And now, Lord, we only reach for you to touch the garment. Thank you, Jesus. Speak to us tonight in this house. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Do you remember when the report card session was all ready and you knew the report card was being sent home to mom or dad? How did you feel about that report card? Were you excited that it was going to go home to mom and dad? And you immediately went to them and said, did you get my report card yet? I want you to see my, or did you check the mail? See if you could delay its arrival. Oh, we love good reports. We love good reports. Tonight I want to share with you about a good report. The government was reorganized. A new ruler took total authority. And in order to ensure this transition, he appointed 120 satraps to rule throughout his kingdom, and he appointed three administrators over these 120. One of the administrators over the 120 satraps was a man by the name of Daniel. Daniel had distinguished himself under Nebuchadnezzar and then was moved out to pasture under Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, Belshazzar, until finally he saw the handwriting on the wall. And then suddenly he was considered as a distinguished sage among them and a, and a, a wise man. That didn't last. The king lost his life that night. So now we have a whole new government, and Darius the king in Daniel the sixth chapter makes these appointments in order that the king might not suffer financial loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself by his excellent administrative abilities that the king decided he would appoint Daniel over the three administrators, creating a new position, and over all the satraps. The problem is, Daniel was Jewish, and there was a lot of hatred toward the Jews. Not much has changed, has it? They began to scheme and say, how do we wipe Daniel out and bring him to ruin in order that one of us who should deserve this position gains the right to be in his place. And so they carefully did some accounting work. They checked all of his financial records. They checked his time. They checked everything about Daniel, and they could find not one area where he had been negligent of his responsibilities. But that is not the good report that I want to share with you tonight. They finally decided that the only way they could corner Daniel and bring him to his destruction would have to be something to do with his God. 
They knew that he prayed three times a day with a window open toward Jerusalem as he cried out to the mighty God of heaven aloud for help and assistance in the tasks he was pursuing. Do you feel overwhelmed with any of the tasks you're pursuing? Then pray three times a day and ask God for help. They finally drew up their plan, recognizing the political structure of the government for the Medes and the Persians was such that once the king had made a decree and it was signed off on, it could not ever be changed. This was their sense of checks and balance in government. It would prevent a ruler from making a foolish decision if he knew that decision could not ever be reversed. Darius in history is known as a playboy. He was known as a wicked man in secular history. A man enamored by the dance and the women, the wild parties, the drunken brawl. This was Darius. At this point, he was already over 60 years of age, but he was a party man. He was a worldly man. And the Lord God of heaven just as he had reached out and grabbed a hold of Nebuchadnezzar and saved him, now desired to reach out and grab Darius. What I want you to see is that no kingdom has ever been established on the earth where the Lord God of heaven has not come and intervened to demonstrate that his power is greater than that king's power. Babylon was the head of gold the greatest nation that had ever ruled the earth. They ruled all of the then known world. And God grabbed Nebuchadnezzar and said, I'm greater than you are, Nebuchadnezzar. You will worship me. And by grace, his soul was saved. Now comes the Medo-Persian Empire, and it stretches over more vast territory than the king of Babylon held. And now God does the same thing he grabs the king of the Medo-Persians and he says, I'll have you for my kingdom. If you look at history, you'll see the same thing happened in Greece, except there was no salvation there. There was only destruction. There was utter rebellion against Almighty God. The prophecy was very clearly laid out by Daniel, but it was ignored by the Greeks. But then came the Romans with their iron you recognize gold is soft and you can form it into something. Silver is a little harder. Brass a little harder. And now comes iron. It crushes and it breaks. And now the Lord God of heaven says, I'm going to demonstrate one more time that man's kingdom has no authority and no power that can stand in the way of my will and he sent his son into the world. And this time, that mighty Roman government said, we have Jesus in the tomb. He is ours. But three days later, he came out of that tomb. And then just to make certain that they understood who they were dealing with, the angels came and rolled away that stone, and they found that tomb empty. Once more, the mighty God of heaven had demonstrated his power. I want to tell you, we're right on the verge of America 
discovering that the Almighty God is more powerful than our nuclear missiles. We're on the verge of discovering in America with all of our pride and all of our arrogance that we are not more powerful than the Almighty God as America's pride is going to be laid in the dust. And if we don't repent, America will be swept into that dust heap of history's ashes. And America will be no more. But already we see rising the great European power getting set for the final ruler who will be a mixture of the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron. And he'll be called the Antichrist. He's going to come as the man of peace. He's going to come as one who will solve the economic problems as everything is disintegrating. And the greatest empire that the earth has ever seen will emerge out of a European confederation. And this man will set himself up to speak against the Most High. This man will tear down everything that is holy. And the Word tells us that a great delusion will come over those who have said they are the people of God, but in fact serve darkness. And they will wander after the beast. And they'll receive in their hand and on their forehead the mark of the beast. And no man can buy or sell, save he has the mark. And for three and a half years, those who are honest and faithful followers of Jesus Christ will be given into the hand of this man who will gorge himself on the blood of the saints. Oh, but the word tells us that coming out of the heavens will be a king of kings and lord of lords riding on a white horse and the mighty armies of heaven will come down and this antichrist will be cast down and all will know that Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords. I love the book of Revelation. You know why I love it? Because it tells me what the end is going to be. Anytime I pick up a book, you know where I go first? The last chapter I read it. Because I want to know what the ending is. And if it's not a good ending, I won't read the book. Oh, the book of Revelation has an awesome ending. The saints of God being lifted up into the heavenlies. For forever to be at home with the Lord. No more tears, no more suffering, no more sorrow. Drinking from the, the water of life. Eating from the tree of life. Oh, I want to be there. It's where we're going, but we're not there yet. That's why we need to understand what this good report is. They come to the king, and they say to the king, we want to honor you above all kings. We think you are the most awesome king the earth has ever seen. And we want you to write out a decree for the Medes and the Persians that any man who prays to anyone, who asks anyone for anything except you, O king, be cast into the den of lions for the next 30 days. 
we want your kingdom to begin under the right note. We want everybody to know that you're the king. We honor you, sir. Oh, the flattery was put on like peanut butter. (laughs) And he ate it up. He thought this was the most fabulous beginning of a rule. He had waited all his life for this kind of recognition. Finally, he was being made God. So he signed off on it. And of course, these men then immediately went to observe to see what Daniel would do. They already knew. He went to his room. He opened the windows. He got down on his knees and he prayed as he had always prayed. There was no change. Now watch the good report. Daniel 6, verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. Did you catch it? (laughs) That's the good report. He still prays. He still prays. That's the report. The king tried to find some loophole. He could find none. He knew he had been taken. He was angry. Daniel was a faithful employee. He had endeared himself. He had ingratiated himself through honest labor to this king. Finally, he gives the order. They bring Daniel. They throw him into the lion's den. The king says to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. The stone is brought. It's placed over the mouth of the den. The king is sealing it with his signet ring, the nobles with their rings so that no funny thing can go on. Daniel is going to spend the night with those lions and they're confident he will be consumed. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. This is such a telling line. It's the only time in scripture you'll find that a king runs. He runs. That's what it means literally in the Hebrew. He runs. The king wants to know. He comes and he he cries out. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answers, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lion. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. And now here's a little defensiveness. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, king. (laughs) Just a little edge of defensiveness. The king doesn't notice this. He's overjoyed. And he gives orders to get Daniel out of that lion's den. There was no wound found on him because he trusted in his God. At that, the king commanded the men who had falsely accused Daniel. They were brought in. They were thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now listen to this statement. This is what God was after. This is what this was all about. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, 
People must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Must. No choice. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. You recognize who's saying this? A pagan. A pagan who is the most powerful being in all of the world. The king over all of the earth. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What an awesome report. But now here's the hard part. What if God had not saved Daniel from the lions? What if he'd been thrown into the lion's den and the lions had eaten him? Now, would he still pray? Some of you feel like you've been thrown into the lion's den and they're eating you. Is there a good report about you? Are you still praying? Or have you come up with some human methodology by which you can rescue yourself? Because God doesn't show up for you. You're going to walk in the flesh because God you can't trust. I want you to go with me over here to 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. We're going to begin reading with verse 8. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am known fully. When a child doesn't get the answer that he asks for in prayer, what's he do? He has several options. One, he can go away and pout. Or two, he can continue to ask. A good report would be you continue to ask and you wait. But the scriptures tell us there will be times when things don't work out according to the way we've prayed. One man tells a story in the church where a woman was pregnant and was having difficulty with a pregnancy. So everyone gathered around and they prayed and they laid hands on this woman. And they prayed that this baby would be saved. And they left that prayer meeting feeling confident. Yes, she's all right. The word came that week, the baby died in the womb. Then what do you do? You turn on God and say, you didn't answer our prayers. It didn't work the way we thought it was going to work. Now I'm going to have to go out and figure out a way to make this work for myself because there's no God. Oh no, we want to keep a sentimental God. We want to keep a a cotton candy Jesus. We can sing songs of love, but 
Do we put our life down with Him and trust Him and put our confidence in Him and know that He alone is the God of heaven and He alone is the one who arranges the affairs of mankind and whatever He arranges, is that all right with you? Or do you have to have something different? And if He doesn't work it out the way you want it to work out, then you're not going to pray anymore. See, the good report is you're going to pray whether the lions consume you or not. He was willing to go even as the three worthies were willing to go into that fiery furnace and they said to Nebuchadnezzar, look, if we perish, we perish, but we will not worship your God. There has to rise up in our heart an absolute determination that regardless of what circumstances come my direction, I will not be manipulated by them. They will not control the way I think or the way I feel about my God. My God rules. My God is supreme. I know the end already. I know who wins in the end. But the scriptures are clear in the book of Revelation that many of God's people will be beheaded for the sake of the cross. So this prosperity gospel that is spreading across America that says God wants you to be rich, God's gonna, that's a setup. Because when you lose your money, you lose your confidence in God. And the Lord God wants to know, will you be faithful to me? Will you trust me? Even though in the circumstances of your life, you don't see anything that would indicate that God's even listening to you. It seems like a dead end. It seems impossible. Will you trust God then? Will you pray then? That's when the good report emerges. I want to show you one more passage of Scripture. It's found in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 13. All the people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Is it all right with you if God does not use the National Prayer Chapel to bring revival in Washington? Is it all right with you if we spend all of these thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, over $20,000 a month, this little fellowship, over 20000 a month, with no rich people among us? Is it all right if we take that money and we put it in radio and come December, we don't have any money left and we have to leave radio? Is that all right? Will we still have the good report that we pray? Or will we say, boy, pastor, we miss God. No, we didn't miss God. We were all 100% clear. We prayed through. All of us were. We knew God was calling us to go across this nation knowing that it would not help the National Prayer Chapel grow knowing that we were sacrificing everything to put the straight word of God out on the street. After we signed that contract and said we'd do that, then the Lord kindly gave us two stations in Washington, D.C. We didn't ask for two. He gave us two. But now what happens if we come to December, we run out of money? Are we going to still pray? 
What happens if we stand for revival in America and instead we see destruction? Is that all right? Is that all right if the lions eat you? Will you still pray? See, if you're a little child and you don't get your way, most times they just cry. Throw a temper fit. Do a drama. What do you do when you don't get your way? When things don't work the way you want them to work? I've discovered a lot of us are just big kids. When we don't get our way, we get mad. Oh, I can't tell you as a pastor through the years how many church fights I've had to settle. One person mad at another because they didn't say hi to them as they passed going out the door. So-and-so doesn't like me because they won't talk to me. Such foolish, foolish, foolish stuff. Or pastor, he doesn't, he doesn't lead the church the way I think he ought to lead it. He made a decision over here and I don't agree with that decision. And oh, the mouths start to clack and go and, and the telephone lines start to buzz and will you pray when you don't get your way? Is your prayer life dependent on you getting the answers you want? Or is your prayer life based on who you're praying to? Are you praying knowing the answer at the end of the book of Revelation? Or are you praying based on the circumstances you see today? See, part of what growing up means, it means becoming responsible. And it means deferring pleasure. How many times did you hear that when you were a kid growing up? I can't tell you how many times my dad said, Ray, would you just grow up? I'd say, what do you mean, Dad? He'd say, you can't have what you want today. You might get it tomorrow and you might not. Well, hey, I want what I want today. Thank you very much. Oh, but I found my dad was absolutely right. What I really wanted was Jesus. Hey, what do you do when the lions eat you? You get mad, throw a fit, blame your boss, blame your husband, blame your wife, blame somebody, start throwing sticks and stones, calling names, or do you just buckle down and say, okay, God didn't do it, I'll go do it myself. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 35, Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, 
The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes of the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Oh, he was holding all of those dear ones for these final days when God will have a people who will have a good report, a people who will pray even though they're devoured by the lions. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let me be very clear with you. There are two things we're being told to do. Throw off anything that hinders your progress toward the heavenly land. Those can be good things. Those can be hobbies that consume our time. Those can be interests in all kinds of wonderful things, but they consume our time and our energy so that we have nothing to give to seek after the Lord in the prayer closet. I can't tell you how many wonderful people say to me, Pastor, I just don't have time to read the Scripture and pray. You think we should read the Scripture several hours a day and pray? Pastor, I don't have time. Why don't you have time? You have as much time as I have. Oh, Pastor, you're a pastor. That's your job. Not true. I have telephones ringing constantly. I have things happening everywhere. Everyone wants a piece of the time. I can fill 24 hours a day and still not meet all the demands. You know what it means for me? It means that I turn the telephone off. It means I turn the television off. It means I've laid the newspapers aside. Is there anything wrong with watching the evening news? I'm sure there's not. Except it hinders me in reading the scriptures. It hinders me in my prayer life. Whatever hinders me, I have to lay aside, cast it off. So first, it's whatever hinders. Then secondly, it's whatever is sin. Whatever sin easily entangles your feet. He's saying, throw it off. Get rid of it. Don't hang on to it. Do you have a habit that's doubtful? you have a check in your spirit that says, don't do that? Then stop. Throw it off. Don't go there anymore. Anything that hinders your prayer life, don't walk in it anymore. Cast it aside. Anything that prevents you from reading the Scripture through three, four, five, six times a year, Genesis to Revelation, then cast that thing off and read the Word. You know what I've discovered? God can do in five minutes more than I can do in five years. With one sweep of his hand, every circumstance can be changed. Every door that was closed can be opened. Only God can do that. You know, I've laughingly said to my wife, 
we could have worked as seeker-sensitive pastors with all of the marketing skill, with all the power of our might. We could have done all of the strategic planning. That's what we've been trained in. We could do the workshops and the seminars. We could do the marketing piece. That's what we know how to do best. That's where we've made our money. But in the end, we would have a little goat herd compared to the revival that God is going to bring. And the question the Lord asked me, frankly, would you rather have that goat herd and work hard all your life to build up that church? Or would you rather have the revival I'll bring? He said, oh, Lord, I'll spend my time with you. I'll minister to you, Lord God, and I'm going to trust you to bring revival in America. Now, what happens if that promise I'm always viewing from afar and I grow old and I die? Will the Lord still find me praying or will I have a bitter heart that says I gave up everything for you, God? What have you done for me? Do you know what wickedness that is? What utter wickedness that is? You see, we're not playing for here. We're not playing for the little goat herd here. We're not playing for the little house in the car here. We're not playing for the boat and the airplane here. We're not playing for this world. We're playing for over there at the end of the book of Revelation. So I might get devoured here by the lions. Might be wiped out financially. Might lose everything. Might be homeless. Is that all right? Or will you still pray? If you were a bag lady tonight, would you pray? Or would you give up in despair before America's finished and it's humbling? There are going to be a lot of us homeless. A lot of us are going to be homeless. But you know what? I have a home being built for me right now. It's on the other side. But sometimes we're going to get devoured by the lions. We're going to be in very desperate situations. We're going to be in places where there seems to be no deliverance. Then will you pray? Will there be a good report regarding your heart? Or will you grow bitter and angry? and hard and say if God won't do it my way I'll go get it anyway where is your heart with the Lord tonight the scripture is verse 2 chapter 12 verse 2 let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So what is the report regarding your heart tonight? Will you pray and trust in Almighty God and cast off those things that hinder you and cast off those works of darkness 
and be honest before the Lord and be clean before the Lord, be sanctified before the Lord, and absolutely know that everything in your heart's desire is found at the end of the book of Revelation. And you have no expectation of having that joy filled here. The promises come, some of the promises will be fulfilled. Some of the promises will not be fulfilled to see what is in your heart. The Lord has promised me revival, but I may die before it comes. Is that all right? You may die before it comes. Is that all right? You see, there's a place where we have to come in our mind where we're simply no longer influenced by the devil, the flesh, or the world. Where we're sold out for Jesus Christ. We're going to follow him. We're not going to follow any man. We're not going to follow any teaching. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. You don't put your eyes on your pastor. You don't put your eyes on your church. You put your eyes on Jesus Christ. He will not ever fail you or let you down, but he may let you get eaten by the lions because he's playing for eternity. He's playing for eternity. So tonight, will you fix your eyes on eternity? Will you fix your eyes on Jesus? He's the ruler, the almighty, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Oh, Lord, I want a good report brought to heaven regarding my heart. Lord, so many times in my life there's been a bad report where I've grown angry or I've grown discouraged or I've grown bitter. But, Lord, you've told me to grow up and be a man, to put off those childish ways. So, Lord, tonight I just fix my eyes on you. I trust that you will bring revival to this city and to this nation. I stand by faith on the promises you have made to me. But, Lord, if I'm devoured by the lions, I'm still going to pray. And my eyes will be on you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name.